Hello everybody and thanks for tuning in from wherever you are. We got an exciting experience lined up for you today. I'm going to finish uh, my series on overcoming anxiety and today we're going to talk about uh, overcoming anxiety in the face of big decisions. Anybody get anxiety when it comes to making decisions? I'm probably at the front of the line there. I am uh, a very... Uh, slow decision maker. I'm pretty indecisive with most decisions. I so envy people who can uh, be in a group and make the decision about where you're going to eat for lunch or in a group decide uh, what movie you're going to go see. I envy that kind of decisiveness. I certainly don't have it. I can get tied up in knots for days over small decisions. I, I generally will defer on decisions. I don't like making decisions. Uh, may, maybe, you, maybe you get where I'm coming from. Now, for me, once I know what decision needs to be made, once it's clear whether I work through a process like I'll share with you today, or uh, maybe God has just kind of spoken deep somewhere in my soul and I just know this is the right thing to do, I can pretty easily then move forward without anxiety and whatever that decision may, may entail. Uh, or if there's a decision where there's, it's a big decision and there's no time to make it, a lot of times I can move forward there without panic and, and calm when, when it would make more sense to have panic. But for whatever reason, uh, if you give me a long time to make a big decision, it's brutal. So I've learned some things about what the Bible says, and, and maybe you're sitting on some big decisions today, like um, maybe if you're a student, some of you are thinking about where to go to college. Uh, some of you might be wondering about if, if it's time to make a career change. Some of us have aging parents and just trying to figure out next steps when an aging parent, a loved one, can no longer take care uh, of themselves, and I know that can can really be a difficult decision to wrestle with, with extended family and things like that, uh, all in the mix. Um, some of you might be trying to make decisions about a 401k that's been wrecked over these past few weeks because things have gotten pretty crazy. So if you're working through a big decision, what I have is some advice today. Uh, let's start with, with uh, the, the advice from Paul in Philippians that we've been walking through. Remember, Paul says, be anxious about nothing, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So somehow Paul from prison, from prison, understood that you could have peace with God in any situation. Now, maybe you have some big decisions that you need to make, or maybe this is a season where you don't really have any decisions to make. It's rare downtime that there's just nothing to decide because all we do is sit at home all day. But this is a great time to decide how we will decide. We're gonna decide right now, from now on, when there's big decisions, I'm going to use God's blueprint. So I'll be back in a few minutes to talk you through Acts 15, a Bible passage that gives us a clear blueprint for making decisions so that from now on we can find God's peace knowing that we decided things 
God's way. I'll be back in a few minutes.
Hi everybody, my name is Marcus Fife, and I'm the worship pastor at Polaris and right now uh, we're going to take communion together as a church. Some of you might know this time as like the Lord's Supper, uh, you might know it uh, as the Eucharist. Uh, this is a time where we take bread and juice and we remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Uh, so we're going to take the bread together, uh, which symbolizes Christ's body that was broken for us, and the juice, which symbolizes Christ's uh, blood that was poured out for us. Uh, so while I'm playing this uh, little instrumental here, um, this is your time to take communion. Um, you know, maybe you have crackers <laughs> uh, that can substitute or maybe just some bread. Um, you know, just, you know, if you need to be creative, that's fine because, uh, you know, we're all in quarantine. Uh and supplies are limited. So anyway, let's go ahead and pray together and then we will take communion together. God, thank you so much um, for the gift of Jesus. Thank you for the sacrifice that he paid on the cross for our sins. Um, and we wanna take a moment right now to remember that sacrifice. Um, so thank you for this time uh, that we have together as a church. We know that even though we're in our homes, uh, that you uh, bind us together um, with your love, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take communion together.
Hi Polaris kids, I'm here to share with you today another true story about Jesus. This story can be found in the New Testament in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those books the Gospel. And this story is called The Friend Who Forgives, a true story about how Peter failed and Jesus forgave by Dan DeWitt. A long time ago, there was a man named Peter who was best friends with Jesus. Peter was a fisherman. He was strong and brave, but he often said the wrong thing. Do you ever talk before you think? That's what Peter did again and again and again. Peter loved fish. In fact, one day he and Jesus had fish for breakfast. Fish for breakfast? That's weird, but we will save that part of the story until the end. On the day when Jesus first called Peter to follow him, can you guess what Peter was doing? That's right, Peter was fishing. Follow me and I will make you a fisher of men, Jesus told him. Can you imagine that, Peter fishing for men? Jesus explained that just as Peter liked to search for fish, Jesus had come to search for people who needed forgiveness. Peter loved being friends with Jesus. He saw Jesus do lots of amazing things. One time, Peter's mother-in-law was sick. Jesus healed her. Another time, Peter was about to drown in a storm. Jesus saved him. Slowly, Peter realized that Jesus was more than a friend. He was God. He would never let Peter down. But sometimes Peter let Jesus down. Like the time Jesus explained to his friends that he had to die on the cross, but that he would come back to life to offer forgiveness. All of you will run away. You're going to say you're not my friends, Jesus said. Peter spoke up right away. He did that a lot. I will never do that. Peter said. But Jesus told him, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will say three times that you are not my friend. I would never do that. Jesus is my best friend, Peter thought. When soldiers came to take Jesus to the cross, Peter pulled out a sword to stop them. Put your sword away, Peter, Jesus said. My father said this must happen. Jesus let the soldiers take him to a courtyard to stand trial. Peter followed from far away. Aren't you one of Jesus's friends? A young girl asked as she opened a gate for Peter to enter the courtyard. What do you think Peter said? No, I don't know Jesus. It was a cold night, so Peter walked over to a fire where some people were warming themselves. Aren't you one of Jesus's friends? Someone asked Peter. What do you think Peter said? No, I don't know Jesus. Then someone else stepped forward and looked closely at Peter. Yes, you are one of Jesus's friends, aren't you? He said. What do you think Peter said? No, I don't know Jesus. Right then, at that very moment, a rooster crowed. Jesus turned around and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said, before the rooster crows, you will say three times that you are not my friend. 
Peter was so sad. He knew he had failed Jesus again and again and again. He didn't just need to find other people who needed forgiving. He needed forgiving too. Peter felt terrible. He ran out of the courtyard and he cried and cried and cried. Peter had let his best friend down and now it was too late because the soldiers had taken Jesus away to be killed. But Peter didn't stay sad because Jesus didn't stay dead. Three days later was the first Easter Sunday when Jesus came back to life to offer people forgiveness. One day Jesus went looking for Peter. Where do you think Jesus found him? That's right, Peter and his friends were fishing. Jesus called to them from the beach. Peter jumped out of the boat into the water and rushed to the beach to see Jesus. And this is where Jesus and Peter had fish for breakfast. Fish for breakfast? That's weird. Peter was so happy to see Jesus alive. But would Jesus forgive him? Peter wasn't sure. Maybe Jesus wouldn't want to talk to him. Maybe Jesus wouldn't want to be friends with him. But yes, Jesus did want to talk to Peter. And yes, Jesus did want to forgive Peter. Wow. And since Peter had said he didn't know Jesus three times, Jesus gave Peter the chance to say three times, I love you, Jesus. That's how Peter became a forgiven fisher of men. Peter spent the rest of his life telling people about his best friend, Jesus. He told them that if they put their trust in Jesus, he would forgive them again and again and again. That's because Jesus was Peter's best friend. He forgave him again and again and again. <clears throat> and if you trust in Jesus, he will forgive you too, again and again and again. Hello again. As I said earlier, I'm finishing up my anxiety series this morning. We're talking about finding peace in the midst of big decisions. And I have a little blueprint here from Acts chapter 15 that I think we can use when we're working our way through a decision to find some peace and some wisdom. Because that's what this, it really, this, this is divine wisdom that we see in scripture. So, of course, we should use any insight that we can get from God. And that's what we have when we read the Bible. So, Acts 15, uh, there's this fascinating problem. In the early church. Now, Acts is a historical book about how the Jesus movement broke out after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And one of the earliest problems, it was a big problem at work in, in this new thing called church, were the backgrounds of different followers of Jesus. Now, Christianity sprouted from Judaism, so the first followers of Jesus had Jewish roots which would have meant they had a certain kind of ethic and rhythm about their week, times when they prayed, things like circumcision, things like Sabbath day observance. And then all of a sudden, people began to follow Jesus from other backgrounds, from pagan backgrounds with no ethics really. And there was a lot of debate over what part of those ethics that the first, first Christians had, for instance, following Sabbath. Um, or what kinds of food could you eat? Could you eat food if it had been sacrificed in the market 
to other gods, things like that. And so there was this council in Jerusalem with many of the apostles and major leaders in the early church. And they had to decide uh, what kind of standard they were going to put out there for uh, people who converted to Christianity from other religions. So you can see this is a pretty big deal. And here's what we read in the book of Acts as they as these leaders made this decision. Now, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to notice, I'm just going to read three verses from a longer passage in Acts 15. I want you to look at the phrase, seemed good. So listen for the phrase, seemed good. Verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So that's the first example. Then verse 25. It has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus. And then here we have in verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden. So when I see one phrase over and over, it seemed good, um, I take notice. Like there's a reason that those authors chose to use the same concept over and over again. They wanted us to understand something. And in this case, it seemed good also is kind of, um, it's a little bit strange to be there because these are apostles. Leaders in the early church, these were the guys that wrote the scriptures, literally. They were the most in tune with God. And in a movement that was clearly in the center of everything that God was doing in the world, we see that phrase, it seemed good, which is only slightly better than your mechanic fixing your brakes saying, yeah, that should work, right? Like you'd love to think that these apostles could come up with more than, well, yeah, it seems good. And I'm sure they were a little more confident than, than that kind of inflection. But, but the idea here is that, is that every decision isn't always obvious. And so we learn from their checkdowns, and then we come up with our own uh, light checkdowns when we face big decisions, and it gives us a kind of peace to move forward. And sometimes that's all we're going to have is the knowledge that we went through these checkdowns from God and, and we're not going to have anything more to go on, so we're going to have to do what seems good. That makes those checkdowns pretty important. So first, notice that they talked it through with godly people who were in touch with God personally and familiar with the wisdom of Scripture. This is huge. The text notes the apostles the elders, and the church. The apostles, like we said, were supercharged followers of Jesus. They had spent time with Jesus himself. The elders had positional authority in the church. They were picked because they were the wisest. They also had life experience. And then just the wisdom of people collectively from the church, bringing their own gifts, their own experiences, their own understanding of scripture. And they were all involved somehow in this big decision. So that's the first takeaway if you want to overcome anxiety in decisions 
is that we should make sure we have godly people helping us make big decisions. So that's that's a habit. Invite First of all, identify people who are godly, who seek godly things, who are familiar with God's divine wisdom in Scripture, and then invite them into your personal world to help you make decisions, which that might be a big leap, because some of you I know with your family of origin, you probably like decisions are in-house. You don't share personal business with others. You would never think about inviting someone on the outside to your inner circle to speak into a decision that you have to make. But biblically speaking, I'm telling you, that's a that's an important practice to identify people who are pursuing God and invite them into decisions that you have to make. That's a whole new practice for some of you. So do you go to people and invite them in to your personal decisions? And I want to suggest, so similar to mentoring, I want to suggest that you find people who have demonstrated like fruit in what you're going for. For instance, if you have parenting decisions, invite godly people who have raised well-adjusted kids. Like you want some proof in the pudding. You want to know that they're good at the thing you're inviting them into. If it's finances, then find someone who has their stuff together and invite them in to help you with your financial decisions. If it's marriage, if you're having some marriage troubles, find a couple who's been married a long time and they still like each other and they walk with God and ask them. I, I know that for some of you, that kind of intimacy is very difficult to think about, but it's a biblical part of the blueprint, seeking godly wisdom. And listen, just because someone is your friend doesn't mean they're a good source of advice on what you're trying to do. They might not be very, they might not be any good at what you're trying to build, at the advice you're seeking. Don't go to your friends for wisdom if they haven't demonstrated that they're good at the thing. That'd be like going to me for medical advice. Okay, don't go to friends just because they're great friends. Go to people who are godly and have demonstrated fruit in what you're trying to accomplish yourself. Invite them into the decision that you're making. That's number one. Uh, number two, it seemed good after they looked for unity. It says when they were one accord, so they looked for unity to know whether or not to move forward. Now, my best way to apply this <clears throat> is really for those of you who, who are married. Um, don't move forward with a big decision unless both parties agree. And I know that can be very frustrating because for some of you, man, you know the right answer. But wait till you have unity to move forward. Let your spouse serve as a voice of God. I'm telling you that for me, I have my check downs of God speaking and my wife Kelly is at the top of that list. When she doesn't feel peace with it, um, that for me is like God saying um, either yes, if she does or no, if she doesn't, let your unity with your spouse be a driving factor in, in decision-making. And then thirdly, they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, meaning they were seeking God's voice. If there's time when it comes to making big decisions, 
Take a season and, 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 and sit in silence a little bit every day. Give yourself 5, 10, 15 minutes of just silence to sit and listen for God's voice. I talked about this a few months ago. There's like a secret society, a small band of people who realize the power of silence, of sitting in silence as if you really believed God were in the room and he really would speak and you're really listening for his voice. And a lot of times, I've never experienced an audible voice, but sometimes you get these powerful inner voices where you know that's God speaking. And you move forward knowing that you have heard from God. And, and, and a lot of times it comes either through his word, through scripture, uh, but then sometimes it also comes through an inner kind of, of sense of God's voice that usually comes from sitting in silence and actually listening. And you can get good at this with practice like anything else, but I guarantee that they spend a lot of time seeking the voice of God, just silently listening to God. So that's that's your other practice. So you got three big check downs here. One is inviting godly people into your, into your world. Two is looking for unity. And three, through both scripture and listening, inviting the voice of God, the, the power of the Holy Spirit to speak deep down inside of you for guidance when it comes to making a big decision. And finally, I just want you to trust the, the concept of it seemed good. You can't be paralyzed or, or second guess your decision that you've made with these checkdowns. You used biblical checkdowns. You used God's blueprint. And listen, if the if these apostles, if it seemed good, a good feeling was the best they got to move forward on this, then you probably need to understand that there are going to be just some decisions that you make that you're just going to have to move forward on, on it seemed good. And then if you find out you were wrong, you fix it, but you don't second guess the decision because you made it using biblical advice, biblical wisdom, and sometimes that's the best you can do because these decisions that we're involved in are often very complicated and, and we just, we do our best and we move forward. So I will be back in a few minutes to wrap up my teaching with a case study very recent to the life of Polaris in making decisions, and hopefully you can find some very specific application. See you in a few. I'm Ryan. And I'm Allison. Do you have a teenager that is looking to grow their faith over this quarantine and have a little bit of fun doing it? Then, oh boy, do we have something good for you. Join us at 6.25 p.m. on Wednesdays and 12 o'clock p.m. on Sundays at SMT Polaris Christian Church for a live stream on YouTube or Facebook. We hope to see you there.
Again, hello, I want to close out the uh, teaching today with a case study on uh, a very recent decision that I was faced with, that we as a church were faced with, and how we use these principles from Acts 15 um, to help make a decision that we felt good about, and hopefully uh, you could take this stuff and then use it in your own life very specifically as you apply it to big decisions that you face in the future. So, um, it was March 12th, uh, it was a Thursday, and Governor DeWine announced, um, you know, right around the time my kids got off the bus, he announced that there would be no more school for three weeks, and hopefully, uh, while he couldn't order churches to close, uh, he was hopeful that churches would sort of obey the spirit of the order, and cease with mass gatherings. So I was immediately faced with the decision what to do for Polaris. It was Thursday, it meant there wasn't a lot of time, uh, and the decision needed to be made quickly. Now I knew that this was pretty much my decision to make. Uh, the elders represent, Mark, Larry, and Larry represent the, the, the ultimate authority uh, in terms of personnel at Polaris. But they lead by making policies, and then they want me to make decisions in the context of those policies or hand those decisions off. So anyway, I felt like this was probably my decision to make, uh, or at least it was probably the right thing 
for me to go a long way in making this decision. So I'll tell you what I did in the spirit of Acts 15, because this is something that I actually use in my real life. First of all, check down. What's the Bible say? The ultimate source of divine wisdom is the Bible. And so if you want to know what God thinks and, and how God would make the decision for you, the Bible is the best place to start. Now, I knew that Romans 13 tells us that we should honor um, honor the authorities that God has uh, entrusted with, with us. In other words, what Romans 13 says is we should look at the authorities of the land as though God has appointed them uh, for our own good. So as long as they're telling us to do things that doesn't contradict Scripture, then we should honor that as a part of God's voice in our life. So that was number one. Number two, I knew that the Bible uh, advocates that we bend over backwards for the underdog. And it seemed to me that um, the spirit of all this was to protect uh, those with compromised immune systems and the elderly, uh, those that would have a tough time against this virus. So I felt like, okay, the, in fighting for the underdog, um, canceling services on Sunday for a little bit might be the best thing to do. Uh, I also know that the churches in the building, um, Bible's very clear about that, that this building that I'm standing in right now uh, really isn't the church. It is a church building and that's it. So we as a church don't need this building to continue to be a church. So nothing in all of that said that somehow we have to meet together here on Sundays in order to please God. Experience has also taught me that um, uh, sickness does not cease on a Sunday morning. I had kids that were raised through the Polaris uh, nurseries and, 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 and me myself when I get sick, it's almost always on a Tuesday, uh, probably going back to shaking hands and hugging and things like that on a Sunday. So nothing in, ever, in any of that said that, that it would be a bad decision or the wrong decision to cancel mass gatherings. Next, <clears throat> godly wisdom. I went straight to the elders, phoned each of them and said, what do you think? And we talked about it. I had already had talked to the staff even days before about the potential of this thing shutting down Sunday morning. So I knew where the staff was at, um, talked to the elders, brought in uh, their godly counsel and their experience. So went through all that. Um, and, and then finally, uh, I had to think about praying and listening to God, but I knew this was just one of those decisions where we don't have a lot of time to do that. So I sort of did one of those, God, I'm going to throw this out there. And if there's something wrong with it, please stop me. But just from looking at scripture, listening to the elders, listening to the staff, understanding experience, um, knew that this is almost certainly the right decision and was able to make that decision in, in confidence um, without a lot of anxiety. And no need to second guess it because I went down those those checklists. So so that's just a, a case study. I hope it's helpful. But I look to the Bible's blueprint for making big decisions, and it will give you peace, godly people, unity. There was definitely unity around that decision for mass gatherings and and, and going virtual versus on site, um, and then inviting the voice of God. Those are things that honestly they will give you such peace.
over anxiety as you face big decisions. So I'm going to pray and then we'll close this down with one last song. Father, thank you for giving us divine wisdom, blueprints for difficult things in scripture. Thank you for showing us that, that even the council of apostles had to just do their best and make a decision and then rely on, on what felt good at the time so we can have peace that we're not always going to hear directly from you. And it's not always going to be uh, obvious. I'm also thankful that you give us freedom, freedom to make decisions and that you trust us with big decisions and that that's a part of this thing we call living. So we're grateful for that and we're grateful for your guiding voice. Uh, and so now I pray that that you would give us confidence over these uncertain days ahead, uh, that we would find your peace through seeking you and seeking your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a good week. Through it.